0: Welcome to Subway Sports Talk.
1: Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors,
0: please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Thank you so much as always for joining us. SST on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe your review on your podcast app and subscribe. No Facebook bell on YouTube as well. Joining me as he has every single week, twice a week since the NFL season started. Uh, takes have been ripping plenty for many weeks now. Many good ones, some not as good ones. Perhaps like our picks in week four, not our week. Patrick Boyle, always a pleasure though to have you back talking some football and sports. What's up, man?
1: Yes, sir. What's up, Peter? You know what? We're going to talk about the picks. We're going to talk about how we've been ice cold. Uh, but what well, we just talked about before we started the podcast, lesser people would give up. We're not quitters here.
0: That's true. Mama ain't raised a quitter, man. Come on. We got to geek going. Uh, listen, it's not an unmanageable number. We're going to go through the recap of the picks in a little bit. But I'm two games under. You are six games under. A couple weeks, and Shen Lugan also six games under. couple weeks, and you're right back, right? couple 3 and 2s mixing in a 4 and 1 all of a sudden you're peaking over 500 and it's only week 8 right it's not like this is over yet we have a lot of
1: fucking real estate to go dude the training wheels are just going to come off they're coming off once the <laughs> training wheels come off look out i'm telling you you better you, know, you don't you don't want to start fading us at that point you're going to start losing a lot of money but i saw i was just talking to you before we started too i saw a uh, a meme on twitter that summed it up pretty perfectly there's <laughs> <laughs> a guy's cartoon just yelling at himself in the mirror you don't suck at gambling. The players suck at playing.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Something that every single person who gambles on their couch thinks in some iteration every Sunday, whether it's fantasy or it's gambling, people do it. You can be on the couch and there could be like, Oh, I, I'd say, you know, a relatively easy catch for somebody in the NFL and they drop it. And somebody who never played it down of football probably can't catch at all is like, Oh, what are you doing? Like, you gotta catch that. And it's like, yeah, he's right. But also, do we have that leg to stand on? Yes, we do, because we, because <laughs> we're putting our money down, and you know, let people have it. You gotta just let people have it. Even though and sometimes, dude, like, all right, dude, but it's pretty funny most of the and
1: time. And dude, I we we we've struggled, and we'll talk about that. But even like, you know, on days where if I have a same game parlay, or if I have you know a couple of other picks that I throw in there that we don't that we don't uh, give out on the pod. Like, even if I hit, like, three out of four on those and only get one wrong, I'm still pissed. I'm still (laughs) pissed at the one I got wrong.
0: And now, I don't know about you, but now, too, with the pod picks and having them out publicly every week, which, you know, I'm proud of us. Last year, every single week, didn't miss a week. We're out here, right? And we're back doing the same thing again this year. It's a big thing to be consistent. Just put it out there. You know, eat your losses, right? Like, wear it. I care way more about my fake money 5-0, and even though I do bet all the games I put on just – for transparency sake, I bet other stuff too. Even if I have a winning week overall from a dollar standpoint, I am so pissed about every pick I make on the pod so much more than ones that I actually lose money on. I don't know if that's similar for you, but I, the, pro, the
1: pride hits
0: right here on the pod picks every single week.
1: Absolutely. I think it's the, it's the love for competition above anything else. Yeah. I just die, Not taking L's, man. I hate taking L's.
0: And the, the irony of, of this competition and the fun that we have doing these picks is last week, for example, I went four and one, the only one I posted on Instagram is the only loss right now this week I went one and four. The only one I posted on Instagram and TikTok is my only win. So I don't know if there's a trend there, but now if uh, viewers are watching and they're saying, Oh, he posted that on the gram we're fading. I don't know. Oh, you know what I mean? Is the post come into play? Does that become a part of uh of the trends here. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see what happens over time. If the, the pods on the, uh, are the picks on the Instagram are the ones that hit or not. So we'll, we'll stay tuned with that. Obviously week five picks coming later in the week, but for today's plan, we are obviously covering the NFL at large, talking about some of the stuff we saw in week four, looking forward to week five. We're going to do a little chat about, um, some teams where yes, it's week four, but we have to make a decision if it's time to panic or if it's too early to panic, because there are a number of teams, some of which have good records, still need to be questioned about who they are and what they're going to become. Uh, and then we'll also preview week five, as we always do, looking ahead to some of the games we're super excited for, as well as some of the lines that we're keeping an eye on. But first, Pat, we'd be you know, hard-pressed to not bring up two pieces of New York sports here on a now Wednesday, early in October. Uh, The Knicks preseason game happened, their first one. I'm kidding. That's not what we're talking about, though. I did watch a good chunk of it, and I was excited with what I saw. Uh, But the Mets are officially not the NLEs champions. The Atlanta Braves take the division. The Mets held it for basically the entire season, and we could have a discussion in a minute on collapsing versus choking. Perhaps there's something there. Perhaps it doesn't matter. They didn't win the division. And then also Aaron Judge on Tuesday hits number 62 in Texas. Congratulations to Judge. We'll touch on that as well. But, Pat, I do want to start quickly with the Mets and this division here. When you hear me intro that about collapsing versus choking, do you think anything specific, does that send your emotions as a baseball fan and watcher, follower of all these New York teams, in any direction? Because I think there's been a lot of conversation about it. If there is a difference, if it matters, what do you think now that it's official the Mets are going to be in the wild card? Did they collapse? Did they just choke at the end? What happened with this Mets division run?
1: It's hard to say they choked because as we're recording here on Tuesday night, they just won their 100th game of the year. And the pace that they've gone on since they've had a 10 and a half game lead Memorial Day weekend, where our good pal Sal claimed on SNY that the NL East was over, um, they still they won a hundred games. They went on June first to the end of the year was a 95 win pace. So they had played five win pace lower from June until the end of the season here. That's hard to say that they choked. It's hard to say that they choked, and that Atlanta, in the meantime, from June first to the end of the year, was on a 114 win pace. So they just would not lose. And we, we've talked about it in September. We talked about it in August. Hey, Mets are having trouble putting the Braves away. They don't lose. Could the Braves do this? And they finally do. That being said, you get swept by that team. The Mets get swept by the Braves last weekend. They needed one win, Pete. One win. And did the Mets choke in terms of the win-loss, like I said, the pace they were on? Not necessarily. But when you look at their schedule – it was a week of schedule in baseball, man, to finish the season. The week of schedule. You can't go out there the way that the Mets did, and you can't get swept by the Cubs in your own building. You can't be dropping two out of three to Pittsburgh. You can't be struggling with the Washington Nationals putting together one run each in back-to-back games on Labor Day weekend. So, I mean, I know it's – you know, everybody wants to be on one side or the other, man. It's a little bit of both. It's hard to say they choked because they played so great for the entirety of the season, even when they had a 10-and-a-half game lead all the way to the end. But at the same time, they lost a lot of games they should have won. And at the end of the day, they needed one win against the Braves. So that's why I feel, I mean, I've, you, know, you take a sip, I, I taste both equally, man. I taste both 50%. Yeah, they choked, yeah. and yeah, they also didn't choke because they had a great year.
0: It's, it's really tough. And that's why I wanted to frame it that way. I'm trying to think of the proper analogy or, you know, comparison. Cause it's not quite like a house of cards. People say like, Oh, something's a house of cards that would constitute just a full blown collapse, right? Where it's, it's something where you can knock something out, but the whole foundation doesn't fall over. That's the difference between a collapse and a choke for me. They didn't collapse because they didn't fall apart completely as a team. They choked because they lost some of the biggest games they needed to win. That that's where it's different. That's where you said it's perfectly balanced. You taste both. You feel the pain of both of those different things. The pain of uh, how did this happen to us? We won a hundred freaking games and we didn't make the division or we didn't win the division. That hurts in one way. Then the other thing that hurts is getting swept by the Cubs and knowing you should have won two of those games, getting swept by the Braves when you really, really needed one. So You're 100% right. It's the nuanced answer that's correct. It's not always the answer that gets the most people riled up or the biggest conversation, the most replies on Twitter, whatever. But that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to tell you how how it is, how how it feels. So it's exactly right what you said, and it's tough. How are you going to call this team bad, shitty, the worst, whatever, pathetic? You can't. You physically can't do it, especially Yankee fans out here. Trying to dig at the Mets now that they didn't win the division. Classic Mets. They don't hold on to the lead. This is very different. You know, this is not when they blew that nine game lead in a month and a half to the Phillies in what was it, oh eight or oh seven? I forget what it was now. Um 07. seven. That's not the same thing, and it's not even remotely close. Like you said, the Braves have been otherworldly, and to act like they haven't been is just being a jerk. And listen, Yankee fans are gonna do it, and that's great. And when they lose now, it's gonna make me wanna dig at you even more when you go into the playoffs where normally I, and personally on the inside, I do kind of root for the Yankees, but I won't let any Yankee fan who's given me crap about the Mets, giving up the division, have any of that uh, noticed by me. Like they're not going to feel any of that from me.
1: No. And look, I mean, does it seem like it's a really, really tall mountain to climb now? You got to play the Padres who you've struggled against. You, ha- you can't hit you Darvish. Um, so it seems like you're behind the eight ball already. Uh, and the fact that you had Max and Jake going one 2 Jake and Max, however, they set it up going one 2 you felt so good about that. No matter who you were playing until last weekend, when all three of them, Max, Jake and Bassett all came up extremely small in the big moments against Atlanta, all got rocked, all got roughed up. I don't think I think, I don't think any one of them made it past, uh, made it more than six. I think what Jake had the, or Max had the longest start five and two thirds. Um I could be wrong. I don't think Jake went further than that. Uh, but, right. yeah. but, dude, like, all three of them struggled. So now you don't feel super confident in terms of, you know, just recency bias if it's Scherzer versus Darvish because you haven't been able to hit Darvish, and Scherzer and Jake both came up short last start. And then even if you get past the Padres, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I believe then NLDS game one is Tuesday. You get a day off. If you're using Jake, Max, and Bassett. If you're lucky enough to win it in two, then Bassett goes game one. But you're not going to get Jake and Max to pitch again. Game three, four, maybe, and that's against the Dodgers. Yeah, you're going to need a hell of an outing from either Cookie, yeah, or Taiwan Walker to put you at a split with the Dodgers coming back to New York. And then you need your studs to ball out just to have a chance. So it feels like they're behind the eight ball. Where you know, oppositely, man, they would have been getting the they would have been getting the winner of who is the, it'll be the Cardinals and the Phillies as right. of now. That, yeah. I, I would have felt a lot better about that matchup. So it just feels like they made things so much more difficult for themselves, man. It's, uh, it's tough to see. And it's, it's gotta be like the most depressing feeling going into the playoffs at 100 and, 101 and 61 or 162. Feeling like you just lost the world.
0: Yeah. Like you're going in a hundred win season, every single team in the league outside of possibly the Dodgers would be ecstatic With a 100 win season every team in the league the dodgers are the only team with a rightful gripe to say whoa 100 would be a little bit down for us right like they're the only team that could possibly say that right so it's it's a it's a weird thing but we shall see in a weird way you'd almost rather the series be longer the wild card series because then there's a little bit more built in off time even if you do sweep like a three out of five or something like that or if you play five you do at least flip the rotation around though it's more stressful on the players in general It's tough uphill battle. We've seen it happen before. It does not mean that they're done. It does not mean that they're fried. And the Yankees and the Mets could easily make it just as far as one another now in the playoffs coming from their different spots. We've seen crazy things happen. And we've seen off time for teams throw them off a little bit, right? So having five days off for the first time since the All-Star break isn't always a
1: home run for every single franchise. I'll just say one thing that like, It's even more depressing to think about. It's for the most part, the offense has been the thing that has struggled. I know, you know, even then, starting pitching, like, they only gave up 14 runs in that series. So, under five a game. It's not horrible. It's not like they got their asses kicked. Like, their starting pitchers all came up small. Bullpen pitched well. It's the fact that the Mets out-hit the Braves. But, I mean, the thing that has been so key for the Mets all year, the reason they've been great is – you know, driving guys in, situational hitting, killing teams with singles. It came back, it spat in their own face, dude, over the last weekend against Atlanta. They got beat by the long ball, and Atlanta showed you, just like the Dodgers have shown you, just like World Series champions of the past five years have shown you, you need to hit the long ball, man. And the Mets can't do it as well as the Braves can. They can't do it as well as the Dodgers can. And if they get to the World Series, even the Yankees and, and the Astros, they won't do it as well as they can either. Um, so, and 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 another you know, reason to be upset too and to not have confidence is Starling Marte. I mean, the guy can't still fucking grip a bat, dude. Yeah. I think he is so underrated in what he did this year for this offense. Like the fact him. the fact that he was sandwiched between Nimmo, a guy that has gotten on base crazy this year, has been an incredible leadoff hitter, and Lindor, where, you know, the season has been a lot about Pete, what he's done, all the home runs. Lindor has 105 plus RBIs, man. Like, he's having a fantastic season. And the fact that you had Lindor... Being able to hit behind Marte, teams knew he was dangerous. A lot of the times, Nimo's getting on base, so what are you going to fall behind and and, walk, and pitch around Marte and get one, two, and have Lindor come up with damage to be done? And it happens so many times. And also the fact that Marte is still an incredible uh, base dealer and he sees a lot of pitches, man. I, I can't tell you how many times this year I saw Starling Marte work a two-two-three-two count, just seeing a ton of pitches, and then him and Lindor always seem to be discussing with each other. You know, if Marte gets out, hey, here's what's coming. Here's what to expect. I think the chemistry in that lineup, man, they're missing that with him out out of the lineup. And if he's out for the entire NLDS, you better hope you move on, and you better hope that he's healthy for uh, playing either the Dodgers or the Braves.
0: And it's not even just what he does, too. It's displacement of the lineup, right? So obviously all the things he did that you just explained, but then you're taking what is a strength at seven or six or wherever that person's moving from, and you're moving him to two, and now weakens six, it weakens two a little bit, and weakens six a little bit, right? So it's not just one person all the time. That's not the entire story. It's who is replacing and how the lineup shifts, and 100% agreed. Miss him a lot. The energy is unpalpable as well. You know, when he turns a, a smoked ball up the gap into a double or a triple, that wouldn't be for others. You get extra juice. When he steals a bag, extra juice. Throws a smoke shot from right field. Juice, right? So, Need him back, miss him a lot. We'll see what happens with the Metsies. We'll see as they take on the Padres on Friday, starting up on that series. Quickly on Aaron Judge. We won't spend much time. What is there to say? This guy's insane, spectacular. Tip my cap. Not wearing one, but I'd tip it anyway. 62. Congrats, Aaron Judge, my guy. Just keep going and do it in the playoffs, and you will be loved forever. And don't make the mistake of getting money somewhere else, unless you're going to the Dodgers, because then you probably win championships. <laughs>
1: You muted yourself. You did an unmute, mute, and I did a moment. mute and unmute. Yep. I, a lot of people think he's gonna be a Met. Yeah. And that's
0: mostly Mets fans just poking fun at Yankees though. No, is is it not? Because that's well, what do,
1: do. would you be surprised if the Steinbrenners if if Hal Steinbrenner low balls him again, where you like I, let's say you're you're Hal Steinbrenner, or let's say you're Pete Kennedy and you're the owner of the Yankees mm-hmm. and you're not cheap. Even now, Aaron Judge, thirty-two, um What's the contract you think is a fair contract for him? Oh god.
0: Um you know what? It's stupid, but he'll probably get 10 years anyway. Stupid. Obviously it's obviously stupid. And guess what? Doesn't matter. 10 years. What was um what was Tatis's? 200
1: something? I, I believe Tatis's was 13 years 300 million. Thir- 13 14 years 340 million.
0: Oh god. All right. So he'll be more of like 9 or 10 for Like 250 plus, something like that. That's no, it, more than that. 280.
1: So like he'll be he, 30, he'll be 31 by the time. Well, he'll turn 31 next April. So basically, by time the time the season he, starts, he's 31. He's
0: gonna be 32. Okay, so easily That's 10 my easily.
1: I thought he was gonna be 32, he's gonna be right. 31.
0: 30, 32, 31. That makes a difference, even though it shouldn't. Still stupid. 10 years, I'll say 10, 300, I guess, 10, 300, easily. I think
1: that I I think his average annual value is a big thing. I think ultimately you could get him for seven. I think the Yankees could get him for seven. I think he's going to 35 or 36 annual, right? I think he's going to ask for nine, but I think the Yankees will settle on seven because I think the average annual value is going to be 36 minimum. Mm. So so
0: funny that that's like such a ginormous baseball contract. That's like the second highest paid player on an NBA team.
1: Yeah, dude, the NBA contracts are absolutely filthy.
0: Different conversation for a different day. So yeah, it's gonna be huge. I don't. I'm not the most versed with with contracts, so I was kind of spitballing there. But yeah, it's gonna be insane.
1: I think he's gonna get eight years, two hundred and eighty
0: million. So go back to your Steinbrenner versus Cohen thing.
1: Well, yeah. So I mean, dude, we saw them give him what was it? Seven years, two hundred eighteen million before the season. I think that's got to be. If it's seven years again, it's got to be two eighty, two eighty five. Honestly, probably should be three hundred, dude. This season he has, but I understand he's going to be 31 by 10 next year. Like I just
0: think you just saying that there's a possibility that when judge wants nine for X amount of dollars and the Yankees go seven for close to the same amount. And Steve Cohen says, I'll do nine.
1: I'll do 10. I'll do 10. I'll do nine years. And I'll give you $35 million a year for judge. That's a $315 million contract. I mean, dude, like, would it surprise you if, if they threw a $350 million bag at him.
0: They like, it's hard for me to fathom the idea of the Yankees ownership and front office, allowing the Mets to bully them. It's really hard to fathom as a Mets fan. I think Yankee fans are more scared of it. Mets fans. I'm telling you, we're saying it with false bravado. Even though we know Steve Cohen is that guy, it's hard to truly fathom. Not that Steve Cohen would offer but that the Yankees would allow them to get away with it. But maybe this Yankees that we've seen for the last about six, seven, eight years now, maybe that's who they are. And maybe they get allowed. They allow themselves to get bullied because they know in seven years, it's going to look like they made the right decision. However, Mets fans will say, don't care about seven years from now. We need one ever. Let's go. We, it's been a long damn time. Let's overpay. I don't care about 2032. Right now, you know, and I'm fine with that too, to
1: be frank. Let's face that bridge when we get there. And I do you think that Hal Steinbrenner might treat Aaron Judge as a one off where he still is cheap and he will be cheap relative to how much money they make, but maybe for Judge because he knows he can't afford to lose Judge, that he'd overpay for only Judge. And then, yes, he should yeah. 100%. What are we, you
0: know what I mean? What are we doing, Hal? Why would we not do that? He will be the captain of this team, whatever the seventh, I don't know, the ninth, whatever the stupid low number is for Yankee captains. I don't really care about your history. 27, shut up, right? If Aaron Judge re-signs for eight years, seven years, 10 years, 11, doesn't matter. He's the captain. Next year, ne- a year after that, he is a historic player in your franchise. If you let him walk, your fans will hate you. For I don't care if it works out. If you don't win a championship next two years after letting him walk, dead Yankee
1: fans are over it they do not want to even remotely see that as a possibility what do you what do you think the minimum judge takes to be a Yankee do you think he takes eight years 30 you know what eight years 40 million 320 million dollar contract I think
0: if it gets to 40 I that's pretty pretty hardcore milestone I feel like for baseball annual value right so probably gonna do the trick but he he seems like he's okay with making this uncomfortable And I respect the hell out of him for that. And I hope Yankee fans respect him for that because he deserves it. My guy is having the best season in however, you know, 80 years, 60 years, 40 years since Barry Bonds, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter. It's incredible. Uh, He should be stingy or not stingy. He should be, you know, stern with this. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think the Yankees would be absolutely dumb to let him walk no matter what it takes. I think he's okay with making it uncomfortable, and I do think Steve Cohen wants to get make an FU offer to Judge, even if he doesn't take it.
1: Well, I'll tell you this: Max Scherzer, richest annual, average annual value, forty-three and a third million dollars a year for the Mets. Okay. Mike Trout, thirty-six. Garrett Cole, thirty-six. Carlos Correa, thirty-five. The next, the highest next highest outfielders' average annual value. You got to go pretty far. 28, 29. Mookie Betts, $30.4 million. Out of him, uh, other position players, Miggy, Seager, Arenado, Lindor, Rendon. Rendon, that's embarrassing, that contract. Sheesh. Correa, and that's it. Wow. So it's Trout and Betts as the highest paid average annual value outfielders.
0: Now that I know that some of that, that information that I wasn't super sharp on before, he's got to have 40 annual. Easily. Got to have 40 annual. Right? I don't oh, know if
1: there's a number that's too low.
0: Yeah. nah, it's got to have 40. All right. Well, that's uh, Judge Talk. It was supposed to be all positive talking about how great he is, but that's also the reality of the situation. And until we're talking about actual playoff series happening, that is the most interesting conversation around the Yankees. So we just had it. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Rod. can going to get into football now, though. So we just finished up the baseball talk, and now it's time to get into that NFL action because it's in full swing, especially over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. And new customers, yes, new customers, I'm looking at you, can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. And on top of that, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, I'm looking at that game with the Giants and Green Bay Packers in London, and I'm cooking up a same-game parlay that you might like very much. I actually don't hate the Giants plus 8.5, but I love Packers' money line. If you take Packers' money line and Packers' team over, 16.5, 16.5, and then throw in one prop of your choosing around the minus 200 range or less. You're looking at even odds for this same game parlay, and you step it up on DraftKings Sportsbook after that. I think Romeo Dobbs over is a great opportunity there, and always, of course, you can look at Aaron Jones receiving props or receptions props. All that stuff can get you there to that even odds Packers money line. Team over 16 and a half, and then pick a prop of your choosing, and I'm liking your chances. To make things even sweeter, though, you can throw down stepped up same game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Pat. Time to recap our picks from week four. Not our week. You did all right, actually. You were very close to a winning week with uh, the Bears giving you a half-point run for your money to giving you a three and two week, but you go two and three. So why don't you kick us off with the recap? I already mentioned before that I was one and four. Shen Lugan was one and four. You were two and three. Combined, that's only four and 11. Not very good. We're under 500 for the year, but we're going to keep
1: going. So, Pat, give me your week four recap on your picks. I am trying. I was trying to find the graphic for week one, um, so I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know for sure week two, three, and four, the first pick I've given out, my most confident, has lost every time. Oof. The most confident pick. I have it right here, actually. You have week one? Let's go. Week Let's one. see if week one lost as well.
0: Uh, of course, week two is on here. I'll find it in a second.
1: Yeah, so either way, I know the, the top the top pick I gave out was Bears plus seven and a half and under 48 and a half. Week before, the Chiefs blew up the parlay. The week before that, the uh, Jets and the Browns under hilariously gets demolished. Um, so, yeah, I mean, starting off with the Bears, man, just just a pathetic performance from them. You know, I said the Giants can't blow anybody out. Is Watching that game, the Giants winning by eight points, was it a blowout? No, but, I mean – Dude, the Bears' offense, we, I knew it was pathetic. I know that they can't throw the ball. And I still thought that their defense was going to be good enough considering how pathetic the Giants' offensive line was against Dallas. And I was like, all right, well, they're going to get a ton of pressure. Like They'll be able to keep this within a field goal. They've got a pretty good kicking game. And then Dave Montgomery doesn't play, and Khalil Herbert was not as big of a factor as I thought he was. What are you going to do? Um, even then, the Bears had multiple opportunities there. And at the end of the game, the Giants are going fucking wildcat because Jones gets hurt and Tyrod Taylor gets hurt. So all in all, dude, plus seven. and The under hits easily, the actual under hit. Uh, but I had Bears plus seven and a half, and they lose by eight. So a half a point. You absolutely hate to see that. Ravens hit pretty easily. Uh, they should have won the game comfortably. They blow that against the Bills. But Ravens plus seven and a half, under 58 and a half. The weather was a huge factor. I saw that. That played into the pick. Sometimes, man, you go with the elements. You just you trust the elements. You trust that. When I saw it was 70% chance of rain, windy, gusty winds, Josh Allen's not going to be able to throw the ball down, sling the ball down the field. Lamar's not going to be able to sling the ball. They're both going to be running it because they both can, and they're going to lean on the run game. Uh, so that hit easily. Cowboys minus three and a half and commanders. I thought that this was setting up. Everyone's like, oh, that's a trap, man. That's the trap line, bro. No. I mean, I saw enough from Carson Wentz. As much as I would like Carson Wentz to do well, I don't say I hate him. I definitely don't hate him, but I wouldn't say I, like, love Carson Wentz. I don't have a strong affection to him. He's just somebody I thought got the raw end of that deal in Indianapolis. But, man, he's been terrible, and he folds under pressure. He he folds like a cheap lawn chair whenever there's a blitz. So, Cowboys minus three and a half easily, and then the last two. Both very frustrating, and it was just, it was just on the wrong side. Uh, Cardinals plus seven and a half. I wanted to take that straight up. I also wanted to take the Raiders straight up minus two and a half. I elected not to. And instead, I get burned with the Packers minus three and a half. They win by three. I can't even be upset because I said, you know, I had it at minus five and a half originally. And I was like, oh, it was like minus or it was like plus 130. So why not just get it down to minus three and a half? They're absolutely going to win by more than a field goal. And fucking Bailey Zappi, <laughs> shades of Joe Montana in that game for New England, <laughs> keeps it close. And if I took. Packers minus two and a half. It would have been like minus 135 odds. I, that's To me, that's too much juice. I shouldn't be giving out picks if they're not basically even, you know, with the VIG built in. So Packers win by four, not three. And then the last one, again, just on the wrong side. The Rams, pathetic. Uh, took a plus one and a half. Once again, McVay gets totally outcoached by Shanahan. They get blown out. Stafford looks terrible. And they were anemic in the red zone. So two and three week. And you know, I feel like I'm just losing at the margins, man. Yeah, I feel like exactly. I'm losing at the margins. Bears lose by half a point. Packers doesn't co- don't cover by half a point. Right there, there's two. That's that's four and one. One point.
0: Right, one point. Not even a full point. I'm sorry, not even more than than one for two games. Uh, and I, I feel you there as well. The Bears one is tough because that was less than a touchdown game. It was like if you watched, I was there. It was disgusting. Like the watching the football we watched was like almost hilarious. It was relatively exciting being inside of MetLife because it was just like Saquon doing cool stuff, right? But, you know, being at the stadium, you do not realize as many specifics about statistics and, you know, players being out. Like when we, when Daniel Jones went out, we saw Tyrod run out. That's how we learned that Daniel Jones was hurt. Then we saw him standing on the sideline. So it's not even like we knew he was hurt. We we're in the dark. When I saw how many passing yards were by the Giants, When I walked out of the stadium, I was flabbergasted. But I was like, makes a lot of sense, actually, how that happened. That was less than a touchdown game. I I feel bad for you, that one. And for me as well, Broncos plus eight and a half, they lose by nine. That's tough. Kind of worked out how I'd expected. It was in that range of being close enough. Uh, It was just nine instead of eight. Got to get better there, but it stings a little bit. So I went one and four. Lions versus Seahawks. Lions came up real small. They ended up covering uh, Shen Lugan's plus three and a half, which is very clutch for him. It uh, it actually worked out to help out with his only win. And they were down much bigger than that. They come back. That's a moment where you kind of bet them live and say, oh, they're going to cover whatever the live spread is because they're not going to lose by 13 to the Seahawks. But the Seahawks came out hotter with more gusto, and they dominated the Lions. Um, On my second bet, Chargers money line with the Jaguars plus 14 and a half. That one worked out about as good as it possibly could for me. Chargers had it much closer than it should have been. The Jaguars uh, almost back cover the 14 and a half, which felt all right for me because watching it, not being able to watch it live, being at the Giants game, I see that they're up early. I'm like, wow, clutch. I got this one. Eagles come flying out of nowhere, come all the way back, take a big lead. Jaguars just cover that 14 and a half. After that, I already touched on the Broncos. They didn't cover the tees for me. Falcons won outright. Didn't love them straight up. Kind of liked it. So I'm not going to kick myself on not betting them straight up. This one stings, even though I like my thought process. Buccaneers defense has been stellar. The Chiefs defense has been solid. Neither of these offenses have been stellar. And uh, the Chiefs almost hit this tease under by themselves. They had 41. So that under didn't stand a chance at Chiefs plus seven and under 51. That one stung, but is what it is. I bet the Chiefs straight. On my own time, which worked out at least okay. There's a little bit of a hedge there. And then Panthers minus one and a half versus the Cardinals. I knew this one when I gave the pick out, Pat, if you remember. I said, this one's going to probably sting because it's going to be Kyler making plays for no reason because he's really talented out making plays of the Cardinals. I mean, of, of the Panthers. And that's exactly what happened. They just made more plays. They're not a better team. I'll stand by that. I don't think they're a better team. They just have a little more spark with Kyler Murray. And they made more plays in that game. Uh, so, you know, I knew that was going to happen. My biggest regret is not betting the Cowboys in one of my five picks. I was very close to doing so. I said it on the pod. It was my sixth pick. Should have made it my fifth, is what it is. One and four after a four and one. That's it. I'm, I'm only two games on a 500 pad. I'm feeling relatively optimistic here.
1: Yeah, I mean, cool. uh, look, it was a bad week with some bad breaks. You had a four and one week last week, and, you know, bounce back, man. Sometimes that happens. One and four. Look at the last two weeks. You're five and five. You're playing five hundred. You didn't lose ground. You didn't gain ground. And then you went. You look back to get back to a winning week. You're going to be like in a spot where you are coming off a loss on the road. You're back at home. You're a minus a three favorite. People are going to jump all over you. You got to believe in yourself. There you you got to go. believe in yourself. Like you're the like you're the like you're the underdog, and you can cover every spread.
0: That's it. I regret nothing. I went for it, made my picks with my uh with my chest, set it with my chest. And for Shen Lugan, uh Teaser, Cowboys plus four and a half, and Bears plus seven and a half. The Bears just like you missed by a half point. That one's tough. Uh and and that one was only plus a hundred for him. And that's something that he should probably think about moving forward. If he could have got eight and a half or nine, eight, or maybe nine, nine and a half for minus one ten, minus one fifteen, even minus one twenty. Might have been worth it, right? Like especially in the realm of the vig's that we're creating on this on this podcast, minus one twenty is completely normal for us, right? So if you get that seven and a half to eight and a half, might as well take it, right? But he just missed that by half point. Chargers money line and Lions plus three and a half, he hit that one with the Lions back door. Eagles money line which hit well, and he had Rams plus seven and a half. Rams came up small as you described earlier. Steelers plus three and a half, they lost by four. Didn't much matter. The Bucks didn't cover. Seven and a half on that second leg of the teaser, and then Shen Lugan's big time same game parlay money line parlay combo minus 115. Lamar Jackson, one passing touchdown that hit. Uh, and then he had Lamar 170 plus passing yards that did not hit, Bills over 16 and a half that did hit, and Packers money line hit. So, just the 170 yards for Lamar passing is the only thing that didn't hit. Tough break for Shen. He'll probably pass 170 15 out of 17 games this year. Pat, right. Like, is that, is that accurate?
1: Well, yeah. And, but you know, I think what what I, big reason why I took the under 58 and a half was the weather. And I think, I don't think Mark factored it in enough. I really don't think, I really don't think he counted for that. I think it was going to be shitty weather and, you know, if you told me with all the rain and the wind that was going to come down, as it actually did, that Lamar was going to not get to 170, I would have said I can absolutely see it. So I think that was a little bit of negligence, honestly, on Shen's on Chen's thinking there.
0: Yeah, and then again, hindsight 2020, but you did have that call out when we made the picks, and you know I don't think he's going to completely disregard these. I don't know if he should or shouldn't. They can hit; these things can easily hit that he put in. He put this thing together one passing touchdown, 170 yards, Bills over 16 and a half, Packers money line. You know, he said, how does it miss? He said injury. It wasn't injury. It was just a game script that didn't call for Lamar passing a lot. They kind of took their foot off the gas in that regard a little bit, and it came back to bite him. Obviously, the hardball thing was talked about at great length of how he handled the late-game situation, going for it on fourth down and not taking the three. John Harbaugh is John Harbaugh right, and we'll use this to segue here as we finish recapping the picks there. He's going to do this. This is what he believes over the course of a season helps them win more games, right? And there's much debate this week about analytics versus non-analytics. Can you date analytics? Can you look at it most of the time, but then use your gut in the moment? You can argue for that 100%. However, John Harbaugh has been very clear in his stance that when he thinks... Over the course of a year, this decision will help his team and he trusts his quarterback. He's gonna do it. So I had a Ravens fan in my life, Dan Bono, Mr. Bono, many of my students at Faro listening. Mr. Bono came into my office yesterday the other day. John Harbaugh's gotta go. I'm sick of it. He can't be going for it. Like I said, stop. No, you're not having this conversation in my uh, my office right now. No, John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL, consistently putting out winners, consistently getting the most out of teams that are banged up and shouldn't be competing. Lamar Jackson's having a fantastic year. Don't start with this Harbaugh can't do it stuff. I don't want to hear it. This is who he is. If you don't want to sign up for it, then don't root for his team. I want to root for his team. I do root for his team. I root for him more than my own team sometimes because they're actually fun and relevant. Yeah, they're frustrating sometimes too. Every team is. For every time that Harbaugh or another coach like him goes for it on fourth down and Lamar one in a hundred throws a pick in that situation, there's five other coaches in the league losing games for being too tentative and too cautious. So I don't want to hear it, fans. You can't have it both ways. You can't sit here and say that, Oh, this team is soft. They didn't go for it on fourth and three. And they get mad at Harbaugh for trying to put his foot on somebody's throat in a game against the best team in the league. I don't want to hear it, Pat. Harbaugh for freaking president. You're muted.
1: How does that happen again? I don't know how I muted myself twice now. Quick. I like like to double tap. Hey. I got the modded controller. Anyway, dude. I'm going to push back on you here with Harbaugh when you're 20 to 20 and you've already blown a lead, you've already blown the lead. They come out of that drive. They come out of the, the, the halftime break and the first drive, they throw the ball three straight times and go three and out. How, how does that happen? How does that happen? Lamar goes to Bateman for no gain. And then he tries to hit Andrews bad throw. And then he tries, um, I forget what the play was on third and 15. It doesn't work. I think he he spiked it into the ground. You're up 20 to 10. The conditions are not great. It's rainy and windy. Why are you coming out of the halftime break and throwing the ball three straight times after you false start? They false started on the first play coming out of the half. That was a mistake right there. Yeah. Run the ball. Run the ball. Your running back is healthy, finally. Your quarterback is the best running quarterback probably in the NFL. No disrespect to Daniel Jones with the two Ah. bootlegs. I mean, fucking genius. (laughs) Fucking genius. If there is a prop next week, that's my top pick. Daniel Jones over two and a half bootleg plays. Because it (laughs) worked perfectly. It was a moronic defense from Chicago. And I don't know what the – Eberflus is more and more looking at me like he's going to be out of a job soon. And that that might be another topic for us here later in this podcast. But – and then, dude, like even that – Okay, you know what? They're not playing well. Buffalo's a great fucking team. You expect them to come back. They do. 20 to 20. You drive all the way down the field. You get all the way down first and goal. It is a part of a 14-play, ultimately 93-yard drive. And you get fourth and goal at the two. And after you just took off, 10 minutes of the clock, and there is under five minutes to go with the way that the weather was playing out. Allen's not going to be able to throw the ball 100%. But the way that you've already blown the lead, how the fuck, excuse my French, how the hell does John Harbaugh go for it on fourth and goal from the two and not just take the points and force Buffalo to actually score in return? To me, Pete, that was a terrible decision from John Harbaugh. He is a great head coach. I agree with the analytics. I like the aggressiveness a lot of the times. But, dude, when you've got a chance for points with under five minutes, and your defense has played, for the most part, pretty well, and it's crap weather, you've got to take the points, dude. You've got to take the points. That was a really, really poor decision from him, and it cost him that game. It it, it most likely cost him that game. Most likely.
0: And I agree with what you, what your assessment was. The analytics debate is that when you kick that field goal, your the win percentage of being up three in that position is 47% or something like that, like a pretty good percent, right? when you score a touchdown, it's like 70%. So over the course of the year, you make the same decision and you hope that that leads you to more victories, right? That's, so that's why the people who trust it always do it because they say with the math, you have to be consistent. It's the same thing with, with basketball. It's the same thing with baseball, right? Like if you're going to be hitting home runs over the course of the year, that's going to swing more wins, right? So like I what you said is correct. In that position, would I have kicked the field goal? Yes. But I'm not going to question John Harbaugh as the coach who always does that. He's consistent. This is not a out of the blue decision for him. This is not a coach that has been getting slammed in the media for being too conservative saying, "Uh, I got to change something up and I got to be aggressive here." It's not the case. So, even though your assessment is 100% correct, I will stand with what I said when you have a coach who's consistent. You got to ride with him consistently, so it, it's definitely a mixed bag because of your assessment being proper. But the assessment on John Harbaugh is he always does this.
1: I understand. I just think that when you're going from an from an analytical standpoint, there's got to be a little bit of feel and a little bit of gut mixed in as well. You can't be purely reliant on analytics and the numbers and what the stats and the numbers and the percentages tell you. When you did, did the analytics account for Baltimore blowing a 17 point lead, and that's why they needed to go sure. for it. Because sure. this is the second time – and now, Pete, if we want to start this topic here, is it too early to panic? It's not too early to panic right now for Baltimore. I was up on them. I know you were super high on them as having a great year. I'm not so sure anymore. This is now two massive leads they've blown. 35-14 against Miami, 20-3 against Buffalo at home. And was it the coaching decisions in the in the first game against Miami? Probably not. More so just the defense totally letting them down, injuries in the secondary, Tua and – Tyreek and Jalen Waddell had a hell of a fourth quarter. All right, it happens once, fine. It can't happen twice with the second with the second collapse being because you had a chance to take points and you didn't. Now, again, Buffalo drove all the way down the field. They basically were like trying not to score before that game ended. And in Baltimore, the Ravens players actually got in a huge fight on the sideline because of that. Some guys wanted, I forget, I, I didn't see who it was exactly. I know it was a couple of them pushing and shoving, but some of them wanted ball- Buffalo to score. It's like, all right, they're just going to run the clock out. If not, let him score and see if we can score a touchdown. Some of them didn't. There was that one play, too, or I think it was Singletary. Like, they like let him go at first, and then whoever came up from safety came and tackled him. And that was what the fight was started about. So could Buffalo score a touchdown anyway? Yeah, they could have. But yeah. at the same time, I think the pressure standpoint, the human element of Josh Allen basically – playing with free money at that point. Hey, we just stopped them. And now all I have to do is basically go 50 yards instead of a hundred easy. Whereas he goes, shit. Now I have to get to midfield. I have to make these throws. There's even that much more pressure because we're down. Yeah. I think that that could have changed things, but um, I don't think it's too early to panic because again, now this is twice that Baltimore has proven that they can't hold the lead. I thought that defense was going to take a huge step back, a huge step forward. It hasn't. Uh, They lost Kyle Fuller already who was a you know, really nice slot nickel corner for them. Um, Humphrey and Peters just have not played all that great, man. They Ever. have not played at the elite level that we're used to seeing them. Uh, Marcus Williams is not playing well at, at, at this free safety. And, I mean, really, it's kind of just been a total lack of production from what we're used to seeing from them in general. Then on offense, dude, like all the problems, all the concerns we've had about this offense for the last three years now, it's still the same. It is Lamar Jackson, one trick pony to Mark Andrews. If not Rashad Bateman has not proven that he's an elite number one, Devin Duvernay. We've been waiting for him to be a deep threat since he stepped into the league and he still consistently isn't that for whatever reason. And the run game just, isn't that strong outside of Lamar. So they're basically counting on him to do everything once again. That's part of the reason why I think he could still ultimately be the MVP because without him, they'd be fucked. Um, but they got a lot of problems, man. They got a lot of problems, and I thought the one thing that would be constant is John Harbaugh it would be the steadying ship. Um, I don't know, man. That's I thought that was a terrible decision the way that game played out to not take the points, and now they're two and two. And you look at their schedule here, and it's not exactly easy. They got to play Cincinnati. You would think they beat the Giants. Uh, they play the Browns at home, and then after that, Bucks and Saints both on the road. Mm. It gets a little easier after that, but. I mean, dude, yeah, they should be four and zero with how good they've looked, and they're two and two.
0: They're not staring at a at a six and two. You know, they're not they're not staring at that. They're staring at probably a if they're lucky, you know, to stay four and four, five and three through the next couple of weeks. Well, the Giants, like you said, the Giants is a probable win. But uh, yeah, one hundred percent. And when you said step back, you meant step back to the old Ravens, not step backwards. You meant towards their past great defense that we're used to. Um, but yeah, the, the key though for the Ravens about the panic level and great segue by you and, and keeping me on track here, it's the run game. It's the run game. You know, Lamar is Lamar and is getting those yards as the running quarterback that he is. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing to have. And it's really, really effective. As we know, if Dobbins Hill, and if Gus Edwards does come back in a, in a couple weeks here, if those guys don't start getting chunk plays at minimum, they're going to be really, really hurting. It's all about the run game. It's always been with them. When they were electric two years ago, when he won the MVP in 2019 or three years ago now, is that three years, 2019, holy smokes. Yeah. That's week five already. Can you believe it? <laughs> so, you know, if, if the run game doesn't get figured out here, that is it to me. What the passing game is, it's good enough for what it needs to be. They have the big playability with Mark Andrews and occasionally Duvernay or Bateman. They have enough consistency in the mid-range now with Andrews and and those two guys. If the run game doesn't get good again, and it doesn't have to be as great as it was in 19, it just has to be good outside of Lamar. So Lamar will make it great himself. That is the key. It'll help the defense. It'll help the pass game. If they don't figure that out, that's their bread and butter. That is their identity. That That's the whole thing. So I'm not, particularly panicking yet but I am keeping a keen watch on how they run the ball over the next 3 weeks because it needs to be better for them to re- reach their full potential. Um on to other teams though that we're thinking mm-hmm. about perhaps is it too early to panic or is it panic time Pat? The NFC in general will switch over to them for a little bit. You can argue that all the teams outside of probably the Eagles have some serious reasons to panic. So is there one team in particular that you're saying straight up, it is not too early to panic.
1: That it's not too early to panic.
0: Yeah. Meaning it's time to panic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it is time to panic.
0: It is time. It's not too early. Cause it's time.
1: Yes, exactly. There you go. Words. Um, it's, it's not too early to panic. It is time to panic for the LA Rams. Man. and Not just because I lost my bet with them. It's because I thought they were just a much better team than they were. And I saw, I saw them get destroyed Thursday night, opening night against Buffalo. And I said, ah, Buffalo is really that damn good. We knew they were. Stafford, there was a little, you know, the elbow thing. Who knows if, who knows if that's actual, like, legit thing? Because he looked dog shit in the red zone on Monday. Uh, but I, I said, all right, you know what? Buffalo is going to steamroll teams this year. Caught him opening night, whatever. Buffalo gets the win. Move on. Rams, blown out Atlanta. Kind of let him sneak back in. I wasn't too concerned about it. And then for the most part, um, pretty dominant. Was it 20 to 12 win against the Cardinals where Arizona was never really in that game it felt like. So I was like, all right, they just smothered him defensively. Uh, Even when the offense doesn't have a good game, they'll be fine. And then Monday night, classic case. Shanahan has owned McVay and I said to myself I thought okay you know what San Francisco still does a lot of those things well they still run the ball they're still physical as hell D'Amico Ryan's a great defense coordinator the blitz packages like they're gonna find a way to get st- to make Stafford uncomfortable but I said en- like enough is enough right like at, at one at sooner point they beat him last year in the NFC championship game probably should have lost that game as well But I was like all right enough's enough like San Francisco I don't think has gelled yet Jimmy G I think he's obviously way better than Trey Lance, but even he said, like, I, was, I need to get some reps here. He hasn't looked all that great, and I said the big thing for me was that they were missing Trent Williams, their left tackle, best lineman in football, and I thought that was going to be a huge detriment without him. I didn't think they were going to be able to sustain uh, passing attack without pressure, without Aaron Donald getting home, you know, a ton of the times without pressure coming from Ashawn Robinson on the other side, and the Rams just didn't show up, man. They didn't show up at all. And this is now two out of four games. San Francisco's a good team. They're not getting back to the NFC Championship game. I think the San Francisco 49ers at most win 10 games this year. I just don't think they're they're, they're as great as they were last year. Um, And the fact that the Rams have now been blown out twice shows me that if the Rams aren't on their A game, they could be beaten by anybody. They could be beaten by anybody, and they were on their A game for a half against Atlanta, and then they, took, they, one, took their foot off the gas and realized, oh, shit, we're not that good. We can't take our foot off the gas and just coast. So when they don't play that well, this is what happens. Blowouts in two out of their four games. I don't know what's going on with Stafford. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if the elbow thing, again, like I said, is legit and it's going to be a thing all year long because they, he had no problem. First drive of the game, first drive of the second half. He had no problem. He completed like 14 straight passes on the first drive of the game and the first drive of the second half. And then he got into the red zone. And every single time he got into the red zone, Aaron Throw, thrown behind guys, he had Higby wide open for a touchdown. He had Cup for a touchdown. He missed both of them. And it wasn't bad routes. It wasn't – the coverage was okay, but he could have easily slipped him in. Dude, Matt Stafford looked, like, looked terrible in the red zone. And if he's going to play like that under pressure – and, they, and he, yeah, he was under pressure a ton, and they sacked him, what, six times, seven times? So the offensive line didn't do them any favors, which is another problem. But still, a lot of that game was on Stafford. He was awful in the red zone. He makes two of those throws. You're looking at this game, you know, Rams probably winning this game, because then he made a bad throw again on this penultimate drive. And Talanoa Hufunga, Troy Palomaro Jr., for those of you who don't know this kid yet, who maybe missed that part, if you didn't see the highlight, this kid's going to be special. I mean, it doesn't take long to know. that They said he was a steal. Fifth-round draft pick at a USC. Talanoa Hufunga is going to be an absolute star. And he totally jumped that route, picked it off, picked six, and that was it. And that was good night. He had a pretty decent year last year. Didn't play a ton. Um, but he's going to be a star, and this is his breakout season for him. And that was it. And that was all she wrote. And they, they basically couldn't run the ball either. So this offense, to me, is not nearly as good as it was last year. You know, them losing Van Jefferson, way bigger of a loss than I thought. Them losing Odell, way bigger of a loss than I thought. Rams are in shambles, man. I would not be surprised. I'm going to say this, Pete. I would not be surprised if the Rams miss the playoffs. Wow. One benefit they have for that take is that
0: the NFC is a little bit of a mess, right? Like, you don't expect two teams out of the NFC South at this point that the Saints aren't looking like that contender. You don't expect two teams out of the NFC East, though the Cowboys are making a run for being in that conversation. They probably should be in that conversation. You do expect two out of the North. So it does make that conversation about, you know, if the Niners do take a stronghold on that division, Rams or Cowboys. Oh, guess what? Guess what, Pat? They play each other this week. Rams versus Cowboys. And that matchup is very interesting because we know what the Cowboys offense is right now. They're going to run the ball with Tony Pollard and Zeke. They're going to try to let Cooper Rush do a little bit, not a lot. They're probably not more than a 17 to 24 point team offensively, but with what their defense can do and what the struggles have been for the Rams, that's a type of uh, game where you're questioning if the Rams can get the 24 and that's not a team we are used to with Matt Stafford at the helm that they're going to not be able to get the 17 to 24 points. That's scary for them, and I agree 100%. goes back to the run game as well. They were horrendous in the run game. They averaged 3.2 yards per carry uh, this week, right? It's it's seven carries for Henderson, eight carries for Akers. They're not sure who their guy is. Akers didn't do anything again with those eight carries. They need to be able to run the ball because so much of McVay's success is built off the play action. It's built off all that motion. It's built off establishing the run. And sticking with it no matter what, whether they're, you know, lighting it up or they're they're playing from a little bit behind. That's what they do. That's their identity, and they don't have that right now. So panic is definitely real for the Rams. You hope for them that the NFC's panic is pretty strong elsewhere to allow them to stay in that playoff hunt. They should stay in the hunt. They have the Cowboys, then they have the Panthers, get another one with the Niners and Buccaneers. Tough stretch. Then they get the Cardinals and Saints. So you expect them to be able to win those. But then you get the Chiefs and the Raiders and the Packers down the road. Like, it's not going to be an easy time for the Rams to walk to 11 or 12 wins. It's not going to be like that for them. Uh, Moving on to another team in the NFC, just mentioned was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and goes back again to the running game. They only attempted four runs, five runs in the game. Yeah, the game script does tell them with being down by the Chiefs with the fumble on the first drive that they had to be passing. They had to do all that stuff. But that doesn't mean it's not a question mark for their running attack and for Fournette and Rashad White, who is now looking more spry than Fournette at this point in time. If you're asking Brady to be the be-all, end-all for this offense, I think there's a lot of reason to at least be well aware of where the panic button is. That defense is very good, but they were just had big time by the Chiefs. So it's not like they're invincible, and it's not like they're a defense that's ready to carry against top-tier competition. I think they're going to crush bad teams defensively, uh, but offensively, they have not really proven much so at all. So I think it's time to not hit the panic button on the Buccaneers, but be well aware where that button is and be ready to press it if a couple more weird, vict- or weird losses come on their
1: books. One thing I'll say about Brady, man, I mean, uh, I could, I can't believe I'm saying this. I really wonder if the uh, the Giselle shit is getting to him. I Can really it, wonder if that's playing uh, a champion. Easy. Easy. It can't be easy
0: on him. Like, you know, for a guy who's always been so locked into football, this is clearly
1: something that's happening to him right now. Clearly. When he got strip sacked by Lejarius Sneed, I don't know if you saw it. They showed a replay. You could see him mouthing. I don't know how I didn't see that coming. Or he basically said that to, I just, I didn't see it, I didn't see it coming. He was like, like astonished. It wasn't a blindside. LeJarrius Sneed comes right off the edge. Brady's dropping back. He just doesn't see Sneed coming right at him. Strips him, knocks him over. Brady got a little rattled after that play. Um, and that was right after the, the Bucks stopped the Chiefs, turned them over on downs when there was 21 to 10. And the next play, they give it right back. Tom Brady and, and uh, Tariko and Collinsworth were saying, they're like, that is uh, Brady. Uh, Brady usually sees that. He usually has that that sixth sense. He did it. And that was really, really surprising for me to see that, to see Brady get strip sacked the way he did by Lejarius Sneed coming off the edge as if it was some exotic blitz. I mean, I'm pretty sure Sneed showed it. Like he didn't run up in time the snap. He showed it. Brady didn't pick it up. That's not something that happens to Brady. So I'm wondering if he's if he's losing a little something. And I know that's kind of hard to say in a game where he puts up 385 yards and three touchdowns, right? Like for the most part, he slung the pill just as well as he always does. But it's little things like that. If Tampa Bay, who we thought their defense was unbeatable, thought the defense was unbeatable, Pat Mahomes, even without Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs showed up, man, that was a fucking statement win. They showed you with Mahomes and Andy Reid, you can take away Tyreek Hill. We still got Kelsey. Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling are going to do what they're supposed to do in this system, and they can run the ball now. Isaiah Pacheco, dude, I saw – what's his name? Tweet out. He runs like it's going to be his last run every single time. Rucker's kid, I love to see that. If they run the ball like that, that kept Tampa Bay honest. That kept them uh, – forcing them to put six, seven guys in that box, and that allowed them when Kansas City had a balanced offense and was throwing the ball, they were picking them apart. Um, So if Tampa Bay's defense goes up against an offense like that in the postseason and they need to rely on Braid and the offense to keep up, can they do it? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe not. Right. I think there's a lot of concerns, too, with their wide receiving core. Evans, for the most part, if he's healthy, he's going to be great. But Godwin, he looked a little banged up again. Julio Jones, I thought he was going to be a big pickup for them, maybe in the postseason with the experience, but so far he hasn't. Now they lose Cameron Braid to a concussion. I mean, dude, they're, they're, they're losing guys left and right here, and that offensive line its not that great anymore. It's not that great.
0: And they're dealing with injuries on the offensive line too, so 100%, he can do it. They might do it. I don't think you want to rely on it for the entire season. Um, all right, last team to mention here for me, at least if you have another one, feel free to bring it up. The Chargers, we talked about them last week. I don't even want to say hit the panic button. I think I hit it on the Chargers last week. and I know they're coming off a win obviously here, but I hit the panic button a little bit on them last week. I'm curious where it goes from here. I I don't think it's easy to see this team being dominant this year. Uh, And I don't know if that means panic. I don't know if that means we just thought too highly of them, but the chargers are not some sort of juggernaut that we had hoped that they could be leading into this season. And with their division and their schedule that they have, it's very difficult it's really hard to believe they're going to walk into the playoffs either. I mentioned it two weeks ago that after week two, I said, I don't think we should look at this team as a playoff guarantee. I don't think they are. And you just look through their schedule. They have the Browns who are not going to be an easy win for them. The Broncos, Seahawks, Falcons, you know, you expect them to take two or three at least there. Then it's Niners, bad, bad matchup for them. Chiefs, Cardinals can play with them. Raiders, in divisions always going to be tough for them. And I'm not super convinced this is, this is a team that we should expect in the playoff, despite how much we love Herbert, despite some of the talent they have on defense. There just doesn't seem to be an identity there, and that is what really scares me. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's just something that hasn't clicked yet. With Herbert, it doesn't seem like that, but there's no true identity. There's nothing that I can feel super confident in going into a Chargers game that this is definitely going to happen for this receiver or this uh, running back or this defensive player even some of their defensive studs haven't been consistently wowing us so i'm just i'm just waiting to see the chargers be who so many people thought they were i think i hit the panic button two weeks ago but i guess i'll keep hitting it who are they who are the chargers right now pat
1: there's a good team that can beat anybody but can also lose to a lot of teams on any given sunday uh one more for me real quick uh team that it's i feel like it's it's we've been panicking we've been hitting the panic button on everybody so far in this segment I'm going to flip it the other way. One team that it's not too early to panic. I think they're going to be fine. Is the Green Bay Packers uh, mm. three and one? Seems like an auspicious three and one start. They barely beat Bailey Zappi and the Patriots. Uh, they look terrible against Tampa Bay, even in the win last week. Uh, blown out by Minnesota week one. You know you haven't really seen a dominant performance. I mean, they kind of they were dominant against Chicago, but I mean, it seems more and more like the Bears are going to be a three win team this year. Um, considering they're two and two seems like they could maybe only win one game the rest of the year. Uh, but I think it's going to be fine. And I think the offensive line, you get Bakhtiari, he's back and healthy. Now Rogers seemed a lot more comfortable in the pocket and needing to step up and make plays. I mean, dude, I give Belichick and the Patriots credit. They kept scoring and Green Bay needed to keep answering. And they did. They answered every, almost every time. And I wasn't that confident in the offense going into that game that if it once it started turning out like that, I was like, oh, Patriots going to win this game. Packers are going to keep scoring. Now that they have to throw the ball, they can't run the ball as much, which when they're balanced and they get Aaron Jones and, and the steamroller A.J. Dillon going, like, yeah, they're a good balanced offense. But when they have to throw the ball, I was like, look, Rogers doesn't trust Christian Watson. Guy dropped a touchdown for him week one. And their best weapon right now is Alan Lazard. I was like, there's, I mean, all the concerns we had about the wide receiver room, I'm starting to feel the other way. I think Romeo Dobbs is a fucking stud, dude. I think he is an absolute stud. We ripped Brian Gutekunst, the GM, for not drafting any receivers with the two picks they had in round one. Romeo Dobbs, fourth round out of Nevada. This kid's going to be special, man. He's explosive. He gets the ball and it is like highlight real worthy. He's now gotten his last two weeks, 13 catches, 120 yards, two touchdowns in the last two weeks combined. And, His worst performance was two catches for 27 against Chicago where they didn't even really need him. He has contributed in just basically every game. So I think Dobbs could be really something special, man, Uh, by the end of the season. Lazard, he's stepping up. You know, he's being the number one guy they need him to be. That long fly route that Rodgers hit him with uh, down the sidelines on one of those last drives was huge. He finishes for six for 116, the only game so far that he's played in that he hasn't scored. He's looking like He's not a legit number one weapon in my mind, but he's stepping up in the role he needs to be. And even Christian Watson, right? I mean, it was like, all right, you fucking jerk off. You're not going to catch the ball. We're going to find other ways to get you involved. The jet sweep, he goes for 15 yards and a touchdown. Okay, there's another weapon that Matt LaFleur has when you know coming out of the uh, the gate there. You start running jet sweeps with Christian Watson out of the slot, maybe you got another weapon. I want to see more out of Robert Tunyon. I thought he was great two years ago, and I was like, this guy's going to be a top five fantasy tight end. He has not been that since. Man, who knows? Maybe it's still time for him to turn around. But I think Aaron Rodgers, classic, R-E-L-A-X, relax. He's getting the chemistry that he needed to with these young guys. It wasn't going to happen in the shortened in a shortened preseason where I think that this year, we saw it more than most. Like these guys don't give a shit about the preseason anymore. So weeks one, two, three, there's going to be a learning curve. And the good quarterbacks and the good teams, for the most part, I think will figure it out. And I think Rodgers is proving it to us once again, man. I didn't, and I think this defense, if Jair Alexander uh, can stay healthy, I mean he's he's still a top ten lockdown corner in my mind. So I think this team is is going to be fine. I still think the Packers are a top three team in the NFC, and we'll see what happens when they get to the postseason because that's where they always choke. But they're going to be a they're going to be a twelve win team.
0: Yeah, and they're going to be six and one. Cause they're playing the giants jets and commanders in the next three weeks. So they're going to be six and one, you know, uh, barring tragedy <laughs> losing to the giants jets or commanders going into the game against the bills on October 30th, they'll probably be six and one. I could not agree more about Romeo Dobbs. He looks great. He had the fumble, which is like, whatever, you know, they got the win. It's okay. He looks really, really good. I'm so with you. I think by the end of the year, we can look at him as the number one over Lazard and Lazard looks pretty good. I think he has been better than we all even thought was. And, and it's not from a number standpoint. It's from a look, it's an eye test thing with him because it's not like he's blown away statistically right now. Um, but from an eye test standpoint, he looks like that guy who can always be there for Aaron Rodgers, And I think he'll continue to do so. Dobbs looks fantastic. I'm not convinced that they're a shoe in for the division, but I do think if you're going through the NFC divisions that's the only one, the North, where I feel confident about two playoff teams. It's the only one where I feel very confident about that. I think the Vikings can be a tragedy any any given week, but I do think they're good enough to win most games. So I think they're both going to be easily in that 11 to 12 win range. Whoever comes out with the extra one, you know, the Vikings already got one head-to-head, which could come back uh, as valuable there. They don't play each other again until week 17, second to last week of the year. Uh, and the Vikings have the Bears, Dolphins, Cardinals commanders. So you know they got they got some winnable games in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, all right, Pat, let's do quickly here our next segment that I forgot to mention in our plans earlier. And let's just talk about some teams with coaches who we think are gonna be eating comfortably on Thanksgiving. And it's not because they don't have a game pat, but it's because we think the coach might get fired before Thanksgiving. So which coach to you? is on the short list or maybe a long list of coaches who won't make it to Thanksgiving.
1: I'm going to start with, I I don't want to throw an easy one out there because I feel like there's two easy ones right off the bat. I'm going to throw out one that I mentioned him before when I kind of teased this topic. uh, And I think it would be a shock to fire him in year one before Thanksgiving, but a coach that I don't think is going to last long. And that's Matt Eberflus, right? You're a defensive guy. You got to, you got to have a better defensive squad than the Chicago Bears have, right? Like, we all talk about how they can't throw the ball and how field sucks and it's all about the offense. Their defense isn't that good. Defense is not very good. They The San Francisco game in the monsoon, I'm not counting that. Trey Lance at quarterback, too. They gave up 27 to Green Bay when I still think the Packers were still settling in. They didn't look that good yet. Uh, they gave up 20 to Houston in that win last week. Okay, they give up 20 in the loss to the Giants. Like, this defense I thought was going to be better. I thought they were going to hang their hats on having a tremendous defense. Um, and I think at too many times they give up points where, yeah, their offense is terrible, but they need to be better. So that's, that's thing number one. Like, this Bears defense I think is good enough to be only giving up about 16, 17 points a game, at least so far in the three out of the four opponents they've played. San Francisco in the rain, Houston Giants. Uh, And then the second thing is somebody's got to get Justin Fields, right? Somebody's got to get Justin Fields, right? Or they've got to draft another quarterback. And maybe I should be talking about in terms of somebody losing their jobs. Maybe it's the GM of the Bears, Ryan Poles. I think I know a lot of people like him. I mean, look, they're cutting bait like big time. But dude, how many resets are you going to have? Like they're terrible year after year after year. And if you don't get the quarterback right, you know, with as the GM, like that's basically your job. That's basically your job. You don't get the GM, uh, you don't get the quarterback right, and you don't get the coach right, you're gone. So, and I just think Matt Eberflutes is they needed to bring in somebody offensive. And I just, and some of the coaching decisions he's made too. Um, you know, again, I think he is very conservative. How many times they kicked it against the Giants as if the Giants weren't basically winning for most of that second half. Like, you need to go for it on one or two of those, man. And, you know, it was kind of the same thing against Green Bay. Like, it was classic situation. They did nothing to try to flip the script uh, as to how that rivalry has played out. They basically lied down like Green Bay did, whatever they want. It was never really close. So, I don't think Matt Eberflus is getting fired in year one here, but I just – I don't think he's going to last, man. I think he's a guy that is definitely gone next year, and I think they're searching for a new quarterback, and they might be searching for the, uh, the holy triumvirate, new head coach, new GM, new quarterback.
0: Easily possible and sucks for the Bears, man. Like, what, what's going on over there? But though, the only part to go against that is that they just know they're going to suck this year, right? Like, Ever yo, bro, just do your best, man. It's okay. If we lose as many games as possible, we look at that as a win as well. So, whatever. That's also a possibility. And especially if the GM's trying to sustain his job, you know, that he's okay with stretching it out with that narrative, perhaps, as well. Uh, I'm going to go with one of the obvious ones, I think. I'm just going to talk about Matt rule here and the Carolina Panthers. This is not an untalented team. I don't think this team sucks. I don't think they have a a lack of weapons to score. That's one. I don't think the quarterback is dog shit. That's two. I don't think the defense is bad yet. They've done nothing special this entire year. There hasn't even been more than a quarter where you're like, Oh, this team is starting to figure something out. Right? So if, there's a there's definitely a route for the Panthers to get on a better track here and play more competitive football and Baker to finally eclipse 200 yards or 250 yards once this season. Like, that's possible, but it's also extremely possible for this team to be 2-9. and nine. And if that's the case, I think the Panthers cut bait midseason and they say, he wasn't going to make it back, let's rip the Band-Aid off, get a new voice in to see if we can salvage anything with Baker here just give Baker the full leash and reevaluate after the year. I think it's probably the most likely for him to, to go out of any of the coaches. And it's probably one of the layups you were talking about. It's just tough to watch a team with playmakers, seemingly a decent quarterback and a defense that doesn't suck. Just be pathetic every week. Matt rule is probably number one on my list. And uh, I assume he might be pretty close to it on yours too.
1: Yeah. And that's, we didn't, we didn't pre-plan this segment about who we were going to talk about. We just talked about how we wanted to, to bring it up. So, I'm glad you went with Rule. That's exactly who I thought you were going to go with. I think he is suspect candidate number one. Uh, But I wanted to give out Eberflus first so that you would hopefully take Rule. So that's me and Pete. That's me peeling back the curtain there because the guy I wanted to give out is Frank Reich. And I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Reich is fired by Thanksgiving, man. Um, They're just not a good team. They're not disciplined. They take way more penalties than they should. Uh, But the notion, again, that the scapegoat last year was Carson Wentz. And, hey, look, is Carson Wentz terrible again this year? Yes. Is Ron Rivera maybe the other head coach we should be talking about in terms of being on the hot seat? Yes. However, they ditched him. Frank Reich, Jim Irsay said, all right, Frank, you're not the guy. We're going to get rid of the quarterback. We're going to get you Matt Ryan. Not working out either. Matt Ryan looks older now than he ever has before, and – This offensive line was supposed to be great. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, a couple guys coming back. They have been terrible. I don't know what it is about the – I don't know why the offensive line that was good last year can't be good this year. But, dude, they're having trouble running the ball with Jonathan Taylor. And I know Jonathan Taylor picked up an ankle injury, and he's – you know, he was non-participant at practice yesterday, going into Thursday's game. Don't know if he's going to play. But still – Jonathan Taylor, 20 carries for 42 yards against a terrible run defense like the Tennessee Titans. And two weeks before that, nine carries for 54 against Jacksonville. That can't happen. That cannot happen. when you have a running back that is as talented as he is and you can't block for him. And also I just don't think they have good enough weapons. Michael Pittman. I don't think he's a number one wide receiver. Um, Mo Alley-Cox and Jelani Woods, the rookie tight end who caught the game-winner against Kansas City, seems like their they're best weapons at times. Uh, those are two tight ends that aren't great pass-catching tight ends. Um, so I just don't think they have a lot of weapons. And Matt Ryan, another guy that folds like a cheap lawn chair under the blitz. He can't run. He has thrown numerous picks already this season. And the defense, now again, Shaquille Leonard, broken nose, concussion. Who the hell knows when he's going to be back? He was the heart of that defense, and they finally got him back, and he gets hurt again. So things are going in the wrong direction for Indy. Plus Frank Reich is just making really bad coaching decisions too when they're in the red zone, whether to go for it, whether to kick the field goal. I mean, you know, again, they were never really in that game against Tennessee either. And we've seen this year, Tennessee is not that good of a team. So, I mean, look, the Colts are one, one, two, and one. Like they play Denver, Jacksonville, Tennessee again, Washington, New England, Las Vegas, Philly before Thanksgiving. Is it out of the realm of possibilities, Pete? to say that they could be at best at best they could be 3 7 and 1 by Thanksgiving
0: it's definitely possible 100% possible it's it's those margin games that's going to save his job if he loses to the higher end teams in the league it is what it is if he loses to Washington go no that's not going to cut it see you later and he might be riding on the laurels of Oh, I've had a new quarterback every year. What do you really expect? But that's like been his own choice. He's written that own script, you know? So I, I'm with you. That's a tough, tough one to to swallow. My only thing with that is like, they still have Matt Ryan, a quarterback, and they don't have some young quarterback to kind of test out anyway. So what's the point of just blowing it up? Might as well just ride it out. But the schedule is not easy. I don't expect them to make much bigger strides. I think the Jaguars, are a much bigger contender in that division. I think the Titans are a much bigger uh, contender in that division. You think back a week ago when we're doing this podcast and we're talking after they beat the Chiefs, oh, maybe the Colts are going to get on the right track. No, they haven't. And they really, if you think about it, the offense was not on the right track even against the Chiefs. It was a fluky game, and we're probably going to look at it as a bigger fluke every single week that goes by. Uh, So, yeah, that's 100% accurate to assess there. Lastly, on the Panthers front, I just want to throw this out there. Listen to this gauntlet. Niners, Rams, Bucks next three weeks. Then they get the Falcons. Not an easy win, but perhaps winnable. Bengals, Falcons, Ravens. That leads us to Thanksgiving. That, that could be 2-11, and 3-10. Ugly, ugly. Rule and Reich are in for it here, man.
1: I think Matt Rule gets fired week nine. And I think Frank Wright gets fired week 11. I think they fire him going into Thanksgiving. There you go.
0: Let him go home.
1: Kanye West, we made it to Thanksgiving. Maybe we can make it to Christmas. I don't think either of those guys are making it to Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) There we go. All right, let's quickly run through the slate here for week five, Pat, and just call out a couple games. But let's start with the Thursday night action, as we always do. That includes the Indianapolis Colts. We didn't talk about the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett being on the firing list, It again, doesn't really make sense. Being his first year, being Russell Wilson, is the quarterback. There's no rebuild, so what's the point, right? So he won't get fired, most likely, though it's it's possible. It's possible. But anyways, Colts at Broncos Thursday night. Broncos open as a three-point favorite. Do you have a lean? Do you have anything you're looking
1: forward to in this matchup here? I mean, honestly, I th- I don't. I think the Lions are probably what it should be. Broncos get the home field advantage, three point spread. They're coming off a loss. Yeah, the Colts are coming off a loss as well, but I mean, again, they look so terrible against Tennessee. They've looked terrible in three out of the four games. Uh, whereas Denver, even as bad as they've played, at two and two, they're undefeated at home, and that that week one loss at Seattle, lose by a point. Um, you know, they and and again, Las Vegas desperation mode. They were zero and three. You figured, you know the, and I don't think those terms get thrown around lightly. Like a team is 0-3. Ask anybody that's played football. Ask anybody that's coached football. If we ask Coach Rock, hey, Coach, you're 0-3. You're going up against a team that's 2-1. You're at home. Are you telling me your team doesn't have a little bit more of an edge because they're 0-3 and, and you're desperate to get that first win? I think that's an actual thing. Um, so I think that was a thing against them playing at Las Vegas. But now they're coming off a loss, coming back home, short rest. We'll see how, how Russ looks. Um, You know, apparently he's got a little bit of a shoulder problem. Uh, He says he's fine. The big loss for Denver is obviously Javante Williams out for the year. Torn ACL, LCL. That's huge for them because Melvin Gordon hasn't been able to hold the – to run the football without fumbling it. He fumbles it every time he touches the rock. So they have virtually now zero run game. Russ is apparently a little bit panged up. Indianapolis has looked as bad as they have. To me (laughs) – I'm probably going to end up betting it. Probably going to put a little small parlay, but I think this game is not worth throwing your money on at all. I think you have two teams that have underperformed. You have no idea what the the status of Russell Wilson is. Um, and again, Jonathan Taylor's a little banged up too. Like the best players on each offense is that your their health is in question, and you're not certain about it. I wouldn't bet it.
0: When you have two teams, and the better question is who's going to lose this game not who's going to win this game. That's the telltale sign of don't bet it too seriously, right? We all know with standalone games on Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, anybody who's as big an NFL fan and big as a gambling fan as you and I, we're going to sprinkle some sort of action. It might be four different $5 bets on first touchdown. It might be a stupid same game parlay. It might be a smart same game parlay. It might be a regular spread. We're probably going to put something on the standalone games. That's what. Life is right now as an NFL fan, but (laughs) to have any confidence in either of these two teams after the conversations we just had is impossible, right? You can pretend that you think someone's going to turn it around, that someone's going to get right in this spot, but with two defenses that are decent to good and two offenses that cannot find their footing with more injuries and more question marks, what the hell is going to happen in this game? It's over under 43, which is very low. I mean we're talking about Matt Ryan and Russell uh, I was about to say Westbrook Russell Wilson here and that's the over under 43 that's low right but why would you trust either of these two offenses now with that being said pat perfect opportunity for a stupid 38 to 33 victory by one of these teams where taylor finally goes for 180 matt ryan throws two touchdowns and uh and uh what's it called and and russell wilson has a b second half or something like that like that's it's possible, but you can't say it with a right mind and a straight face because these teams have shown us nothing but being a tragedy to this point.
1: I think I'm just going to bet this one with the trends. I think I'm going dogs and unders. I think, I, you know, this is to quote our pal J.J., John Justremski. if it gets to three and a half, I'm taking the Colts three and a half and I'm holding my nose, right? Yeah, like yeah. Yes. One where classic J-line. I'm just trusting the fact, especially primetime. Primetime unders have been clutch. You know, I know you said this game could be stupid and you could get 70 points. I don't see it. And I don't see how Denver without without Javante Williams and they can't trust Melvin Gordon. I mean, Mike Boone and Latavius Murray can run the ball for them. Uh, Russ hasn't been able to connect with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy consistently this entire season. And we know the problems that I said are, the Colts are having. So I think the under is good to bet on. I think if the, if you get a three and a half of Indianapolis, you hold your breath, you take it because I think Denver has as many problems right now on offense going into this game as Indianapolis has had all year. And This is just bound to be a field goal game. I feel like this is bound where, like you said, who's going to lose this game? And I don't think either team is going to win it. And usually when that's the case, you get a close game. That is correct.
0: Uh, My next game, I want to talk about Chargers at Browns. Right now, the Chargers are minus three. And this is basically the matchup of uh, talented roster underperforming with a good quarterback versus talented roster performing well with an average quarterback, right? The Browns and Berset, average quarterback play at best, great roster, good run game, taking care of business for the most part to this point. If they don't blow a stupid lead to the Jets, they're three and one, and we feel very good about them. They're two and two, and we feel okay. That game is interesting in the one o'clock slate to me because the right now it's Chargers minus three. And I think if you asked before the season, and I would love to see if you can find week five lines you know, two months ago, three months ago out of the season, what the chargers would have been favored at at that point were they without Deshaun Watson in this game, a six and a half point favorite to start. And now it's a three point spread and you could realistically see the Browns keeping this very close and possibly winning the game. Got to see a defensive performance from the chargers. It's not easy to grind with the Browns and try to stop Chubb and hunt all day long, mostly Chubb so far this season. I think this is a real spot for the Browns to pull an upset and cover this game. Uh, But it's also a spot for the Browns. I'm sorry for the chargers to show up and put together a big time offensive performance. Keenan Allen is supposed to be back. And if he is as valuable as he's always been, that's going to change the outlook of the offense. So interested to see, to see if the chargers put together a full performance, good offense, good defense, good coaching down the stretch. Because right now I don't trust them and I do trust the Browns to play competent football with a talented roster. So I think that's not a gimme. It's one I'm probably going to stay away from, from a gambling perspective, but I'm really interested to see how the chargers deal with some smack in your face football out of the Browns.
1: I like that. I like that game a lot. Uh, The game I want to talk about really quickly um, is the giants and the Packers Sunday morning in London. You know, I was saying that I think the Packers are going to be fine. They probably will. That being said, I think eight points for a neutral site game is a lot of points. Like, right, if we're talking about this game being at Lambeau, Packers are probably, what, 10, 10 and a half? Yeah. And would you be thinking that that's a lot of points?
0: No. (laughs) Really? No, I don't think the Giants can score, but maybe the Packers can either. So maybe it is a lot. Well, yeah. I
1: mean, again, I think at the end of the year – that Rogers and Romeo Dobbs and the connection that he continues to build with Lazard as the number one guy, I think it's only going to get better. But right now I think there's still some, there's still some flaws there. And I mean, you know, again, I don't think what new England did against them last week was totally a fluke. The Packers can be run on what's the Giants' strength, the run game. So if Saquon runs like he has all year, which unless he gets hurt, there's no reason to think he can't, uh, they're going to be able to run on the Packers and that'll set up a little bit of play action. The giants can't throw the ball, but it sets up, you know, they'll get creative. They'll get creative with some play-action screens. You know, they'll, they'll, get, uh, they'll get Richie James involved a little bit. They'll get some screens going to, to Saquon. Daniel Bellinger as the tight end. They're having a little bit of success throwing the ball with him. But the thing is, they can run the ball. And if they stick to the run, which they should be able to, New England stuck to the run, and they were grinding out yards with Harris and Ramondre Stevenson against Green Bay in Lambeau with a third-string quarterback, the Giants can do that as well um and then the Packers want to run the ball as well and the Giants can be run on but I think so far I think Wink is gonna you know they're gonna do shell zone defense and they're gonna line up some blitzes if they get third and long uh and I think for the most part Aaron's not gonna throw for 250 yards he might only throw for 215 or 220 I think the Giants are gonna limit them and I think the Packers and Matt LaFleur they are comfortable with winning ugly I think it's a real attribute uh, attribute for this team uh but I think it doesn't you know, favor them winning by a ton of points. I mean, they were nine and a half last week. Hoyer goes down and they barely win the game. Uh, they certainly don't cover. So I think the Giants can absolutely keep this game within a touchdown. Uh, and I'd probably be putting, I, might, I, I like I think this is where I don't screw around with the over and under. And I think I just take the Giants plus eight here.
0: Great spot for Giants fans to wake up early on Sunday and sprinkle the spread and just say, hey, I'm hoping for a close game today eight and a half, maybe you can find. And the, the Packers aren't putting people away right now either. Maybe it's a good spot for giants fans to have a nice Sunday morning, wake up, have a cocktail, maybe have a bloody Mary or a, or a hot toddy. If you're feeling hot still in the morning, hot toddy. you morning. had a hot
1: toddy before we started. Hey, now of course,
0: why not? Uh, so that's not a bad, that's not a bad call there. I'm actually pretty interested to see how the giants show up there. See if they have any juice in against a real team. Um, I'm also interested in the Jets quickly. Jets plus three at home against Dolphins. Zach Wilson, game two back. Reason to believe they can be in this game. Dolphins defense, better for sure. Offense with Teddy, assuming two is not playing, obviously. Uh, Teddy should be fine. They should be fine, but it could be a close game. Not going to spend too much time on that. Um, The last one I'm going to call out, though, is Cowboys at the Rams. Mentioned it before already when we were talking about the Rams. It's Rams minus four and a half. A little bit of a shocking spread to me. I thought they easily could have been at three points here, keeping that at just a field goal with how the defense of the Cowboys has been playing and how Cooper Rush has gotten the job done to this point. They're giving the respect to the Rams at home. Hasn't meant much to this year. I'm leaning on the Cowboys here plus four and a half, but you could also tease that up to a ten and a half in a normal six-point tease. I'm definitely going to be taking a close, close look at what happens with that line as we move forward, especially with an over under at 43. If I'm teasing that with another leg from a different game, 10 and a half points feels really good out of the Cowboys there. Uh, so I, I, I'm interested to see. We're asking for the Rams to show up and put a game together, asking them to run the ball, use somebody besides Cooper Cup. This might be a chance for them to take advantage of the aggressive secondary of Dallas, but it might be a chance for Stafford to be running for his life under duress all day and unable to connect on tough throws. I like the Cowboys at plus 10 and a half on a teaser. I think I like them at plus four and a half and why not? They could probably win this game.
1: Yeah. One last one for me really quickly. I am once again, going to attempt to sell high on the Philadelphia Eagles. I think Ooh. they, I think they're a good team. I've been saying all year, they're going to win the East. They're not that great yet. Could they be great at the end of the year? Perhaps. Uh, you look at who they've beaten so far, Detroit, Washington, Jacksonville, three out of their four wins. They look great against Minnesota Monday night. I'm not just going to say, oh, you know what, primetime Monday night, Kirk Cousins. I think that is a thing. But Detroit, I mean, their defense is terrible. They just gave up 48 points to Geno Smith and Rashad Penny and the Seahawks. They beat Washington with Carson Wentz, who looks absolutely terrible. And we think Jacksonville could be really good this year. They've looked pretty you know, they're plucky so far this season, right? They're a rough and tough team. Uh, they blew out the Colts. But, I mean, do we really think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win anything more than seven, eight games this year? So, in my in my estimation, the Eagles have beaten three non-playoff teams this season. And they've beaten the team in the Minnesota Vikings, who I know you bet on them every single week, Pete. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, to me, are a Tier 2, in between a Tier 2 and Tier 3 team, if you break the NFL up into, like, five tiers. Like, the Minnesota Vikings are a fringe playoff team in my estimation. Uh, so I think this is a great sell high spot for the Cardinals who their two losses are to the Rams and the chiefs. And I know I've been going on about all the problems that the Rams are having. Um, but you know, the Cardinals and you could say they should be one and three. If they didn't come back against Vegas, they're at home. Uh, and I think Kyler Murray is starting to get a little settled in with not having Deandre Hopkins to rescue him. You know, I think Hollywood Brown stepped up in a big way last week against Carolina. He had a huge game, six for eighty-eight and a touchdown. Um, now that Rondell Moore is healthy, that gives him another element out of the slot. Greg Dorch, a guy who probably 99% of people don't know, has been stepping up a little bit lately, had a, couple, had a big game last week, and then they're starting to use Zach Ertz more. Right? Like they're playing now. They, they said, okay, we don't have DeAndre, but how can we get the most out of these other guys? If James Conner and Eno can stay healthy, the run game is pretty solid, of course, with Kyler doing what he does. And I just think the defense was so bad to start the year. I don't think they can continue to be that bad. I think what you've seen out of them the last two weeks held the Rams to 20, held the Panthers 16, probably more of what we can expect from this defense. They're not a great defense, but they're certainly not terrible like they were against Kansas City. And now the Chiefs put up 41 against Tampa Bay. You know, again, we're getting more data here, right? So I think it was, it was cool. It was the fun thing to do to shit on Arizona after week one and after three quarters of the game against Vegas. They're, they're, they're an okay team. And they're 0-2 at home, a place where they were so good at last year that's probably not going to, they're probably not going to lose this game by a ton of points. I think they can win it. I'm going to try to sell high on the Eagles again. I'm probably going to take the Cardinals plus five. Yeah. That's an interesting five number there too. I think that very interesting. And I think it's low enough to where a lot of people are going to say, Oh yeah, I love the Eagles. It's been on them again. They're going to win by a touchdown.
0: Yeah, exactly. And even six and a half versus five is a huge difference mentally for whatever reason. So I, I do think that five numbers interesting there. I like your lean. Lastly, I'm not going to talk about them much, but, The Sunday night and Monday night game should be doozies, hopefully. Bengals at Ravens Sunday night. Ravens currently a three-point favorite. That's almost one you just want to take the points in, right? Sunday night, wait to see how you do on the 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock slate and then attack it with a full head of steam. Sunday night, see how you're feeling. Toss-up. I mean, two teams that can be had, two teams that can be awesome. I'm excited as hell to watch Burrow and Lamar. It's one of the blessings we have in the NFL right now that those two quarterbacks are going to play each other two times every single year. Can't wait for Sunday night and Monday night Raiders at chiefs chiefs minus seven. So they get the full touchdown favorite here. We know that they look way better than the Raiders. We know what the Raiders shortcomings have been so far this year. This has been a game over the past season or two that has been tough for the chiefs, even though they've still won most of them. Uh, It's Monday night, Derek Carr and that offense could go off at any moment. I think we're going to see points. The over-under set at 51, Chiefs minus seven. I'm not going to make that a pick. However, it's hard to be discouraged with anything you you can talk about with the Chiefs after what they did to the Bucs last week. So I don't know. I'd lean towards points, but I'd also lean towards not betting against the Chiefs. So I don't, I don't know how you're feeling about your Raiders and early season hopes for them, but how could you bet them against the Chiefs right now? But it is, it is a lot of points in division game in prime time
1: uh yeah it is a lot of points i think it's deservedly so a lot of points i tripled down on the raiders last week they won they came through (laughs) i gotta take a week off maybe i can double down on them again after this week i mean the chiefs absolutely annihilated them both times last year 48 to 9 and 41 to 14 raiders played them tough in 2020 but basically this rivalry has been totally one-sided and look that's now this is two games this year the chiefs have put up 40 points (laughs) like the offense is legit man uh, they're at home Monday night. It could be a rough one again. Um, seven is a lot. It's a divisional game. I'm certainly not going to be betting the Raiders in that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's that's kind of how I felt too, right? Like, do I have the balls to take the Raiders plus seven and for them to lose by seventeen? Like, I don't think I do. I don't think I do. Much much more likely to do some sort of like Chiefs money line, Mahomes two touchdowns situation to get it near minus
1: one ten or something like that.
0: But yeah, that's week five. Patrick, my friend, it's 1 11 in the morning. How are you feeling?
1: Good. And I apologize. I feel like I brought you down some side streets with Judge and the Mets in the beginning here. Set us down this long and winding road. Before we start, I was like, all right, yeah, 40 minutes, nice and tight.
0: <laughs> Classic. Classic, Famous last words for podcasters. This will be a short one.
1: Dude, we cool. peel back. I feel like we we peel back so many layers though, and there's so much to get into that. I feel like we'd be doing a disservice, not, not talking about a lot of it. And for the folks, the diehard fans that listen, I know there's a lot, we appreciate you guys. And, and I hope you come away with listening to this podcast, feeling like you know what to watch for in terms of games coming up in the week, you have a better, you know, you watch with a more watchful eye. I feel like for me, I watch football now. And even just two years ago, I watch the game so much more differently I know what like I know what I'm looking for. I know what kind of points to look for and what players to watch out for and how schemes are run and how things develop. And also just the gambling sense. Hopefully you get a better sense of what to expect traps to look out for dogs that you could possibly play and get behind going into the week. So.
0: That's the plan. And we try to deliver and you know what a good tangent here and there make podcasting great, I think. And uh, yeah, if we actually like, hit the time that we planned for, on every single podcast, we'd probably have multiple, multiple hours. No more than that. We'd have a hundred hours of 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 shorter podcasts. Like it's just well, it is what it is. We come out here and if we really wanted to or could or if it made sense in this realm, we would do a four-hour show. You know, we could keep going for days. And that's what makes this special to me at least. So hopefully the fans agree with that as well. So Pat, thank you as always. Catch him at Pat Boyle44. Twitter and the gram catch them on the airwaves fan CBS sports radio. You know what to do. I'm Pete Kennedy at P Kennedy Two y subway sports talk on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, as well as on all your podcast apps and on YouTube. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate, review, notification bell, the whole nine. You know what it is. Thanks for listening. As always subway sports talk for Pat Boyle. I'm Pete Kennedy. Cheers.